We've started our uh, new sermon series in the Gospel of John titled Living with God, and we are still in chapter 1. Uh, today we'll be looking at verses 19 all the way to 28, so please look uh, in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, you can open up your apps or share with your friends next to you. But once we have it, let's all stand uh, as we read uh, and depend on the living Word of God this morning. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 28. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, that, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the path or make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of sandal, a strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You guys may be seated. Uh, why don't you pray with me one more time. Father, I do ask and pray that you open up our hearts to receive your holy living word this morning. We do pray that as we depend on the final authority of the word of God, we do pray that we will let aside our opinions or what we think we know about the scripture and help us to have a humble heart to fully receive and feast upon the word or living bread of life. We thank you, Lord. We do pray all of this in Jesus' name. Uh, if you guys are taking notes, the title of today's message is called, Who Are You? Who Are You? Um, personality tests. Uh, have you ever taken one of those personality tests online or maybe in a uh, written form where it asks you questions regarding your traits or your habits, and out of the multiple choice questions, you need to pick one that best describes you. Have you guys ever taken those tests before or quizzes? Yeah? Uh, or there are also those exams or quizzes that are titled, Which Character Are You in the movie or in the show? Uh, where depending on how you answer the question, you are then matched up with a certain character from that specific movie or that show that you enjoy watching. To be honest, I've taken many of those quizzes and tests only to find out that I tend to choose the answer that doesn't best describe who I am, but I tend to choose the answer that best describes who I want to be or who I wish I was that I am not. For example, if one of the questions is, I am always busy, and you have to choose between these choices of inaccurate, neutral, or accurate, I am always busy. I would have a hard time because I think I am always busy in my life. But then again, I don't want to seem too busy of a person, so then I would end up choosing neutral when I should really be choosing accurate. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of these personality tests because it's not a true representation of who you are. Even the really popular ones, you can take it now 
and take it again 10 years from now, and I guarantee you the results will be different. Why? Because it's not really identifying who you really are right now, but it's identifying who you want to be, that you're not. So then how can you know who you really are? How can you truly know who you are? Maybe you can pass around a survey amongst your closest friends and ask them to write about who you are. Or maybe you think you know yourself well enough already. But in the end, our true identity is found not by our abilities or our desires or what others say about us, but what the scripture says about us. Let me say this again. Our true identity is found not in our abilities, not in our desires, or not in what other people say about us, but found in the scripture alone. So let's, let's find out. As we dig deep into the word of God this morning, in the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, we see a summary or an overview of the entire book. So the author, Apostle John, reminds the reader that our God, who is the creator of the universe, desires to be in an intimate relationship with his people. The only, only religion in the world where a God figure, a divine figure, would stoop down to our level to be in a relationship with us. How is that going to happen? Through the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, God builds a new temple, a new tabernacle in, in, in our hearts so that he may dwell among us as our father, as we are his newly adopted sons and daughters. However, what we find in verse 19 of today's passage is that as John, the Apostle John, finishes writing the introduction of his book, he doesn't start off right away with Jesus Christ, but he tends to kind of shift our focus to a different character named John the Baptist. So then we got to ask this question, who is this John the Baptist, and why does he appear in the Gospels, and how does he fit in the whole rescue mission of God through Jesus? Because I thought it was about Jesus, right? John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, or Logos, referring to Jesus Christ, and the Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. And it's talking about, John is setting up all this big picture of Jesus Christ and the importance of his life and ministry on earth. Yet, in verse 19, John talks about this other guy named John the Baptist. Well, that's precisely the question that the Jewish priests and the Levites were asking John the Baptist. Who are you? They, were, they, were, they traveled all the way from Jerusalem to the place where John the Baptist was baptizing people on the, on the river. Uh, and they're asking him, who exactly are you? John the Baptist starts off with a list of things that he is not in today's passage. Look at me in verse 20. He says, I am not these. He says, I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. And I am not the prophet. Right? How awkward, how weird. If someone asks you, who are you? How would you describe yourself? You would never really start off by saying, I am not this, I am not this, I am not this. Without the historical context or the background, it can seem very weird, very awkward of a response. Couldn't he just say, I am John the Baptist, and my job is to baptize people in the Jordan River? 
And then you can share about his hobbies or his ethnic background, his family background. But no, he starts off by saying, I am not the Christ, I am not Elijah, and I am not the prophet. So why? Without the historical context or the background, it can seem very weird, but for the original audience that John, Apostle John is writing this to, the reason why John the Baptist rep- responded this way made perfect sense. Let me explain. When we take a look at Matthew chapter 3, we studied the book of Matthew earlier, Matthew chapter 3, verses 46, we see that John the Baptist was a very well-known public figure, to say the least. Look at me in Matthew chapter 3, starting with verse 5, it says, Then Jerusalem... And all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. You see this again. Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the regions about the Jordan. Maybe he didn't dress as nice as some of these celebrities of today, but we see in verse 5 that he was trending on all platforms. John the Baptist was so well known that people were flocking to him and traveling all the way to the Jordan River to not only meet him, but to be baptized by him. He was a celebrity back in the day. Not only that, we see John the Baptist was baptizing people and people were confessing their sins. This was also out of the ordinary because you see, in order for anyone to baptize someone, They needed some sort of special authority. So if you guys joined us, even now in our our denomination, we believe, if you guys joined us during the Thanksgiving uh, service, uh, that was my first time in my life that I had the privilege of baptizing two of our sisters. Beforehand, I couldn't baptize because I wasn't ordained as a minister. Back in the day, similarly, you had to have special authority in order for you to baptize people. You can't just be like, here, let me... Why don't you come here? Let me baptize you in the water. Let me dunk you in the water. No. You need a special authority. So who had these authorities to baptize people? Well, according to the Old Testament, it was the Christ or the Messiah or Elijah or prophet like Moses that God had promised. These were the people who had the privilege or the authority to baptize people. So when these religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, came to the Jordan River and seized John, Baptizing people constantly as there's a huge line. They're like, who are you? And what are you doing? This is why the news spread all the way to Jerusalem and the Jewish religious leaders were dying to know, who is this dude? So as the Jewish religious leaders approached this scene and so many people gathered around the Jordan River are being baptized by John, they couldn't help but to ask this question, who are you? Or in another way, who do you think you are? Excuse me, who do you think you are and with what authority are you baptizing and dunking people in the water, asking them to confess their sins? You know, ask, you know yeah, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Or are you a prophet like Moses? Because those are the only people that we know have, who have the authority to baptize people. So it is in this context that John the Baptist explains that he is none of them. So first, John the Baptist says, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. The title Christ referring, it refers to the Old Testament term Messiah or anointed one. 
uh, that the people of Israel have been waiting for ever since the prophecy of 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. Let me read that for us. 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, 7, verse 12. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is God talking about King David and his lineage. Meaning, the Jews believe that the Messiah will come from the lineage or the family tree of King David, through whom God will establish a new kingdom. So if this person, John the Baptist, is really the Messiah, then he should be related with King David. And once they saw John the Baptist and they, uh, the way he was carrying out his ministry of baptism and repentance, they thought surely he had to be the Christ. Surely he had to have this new special authority given by God through the lineage of David. He is the one who God will establish his throne through. But we see... John the Baptist says, no, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. So then, sequentially, second, then are you Elijah? Who is Elijah? The reason why some thought John the Baptist to be Elijah was because of the prophecies of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. And he reads a few for us. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, I will send up my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly... Come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Chapter 4, verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their father, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Friends, according to Malachi chapter 3 and 4, it states that God will send a messenger in Elijah through whom who God will begin the ministry of reconciliation between him and his people. Now, if you look at John the Baptist and what he's doing, he's asking people to confess their sins, repent, and be baptized. That seems like a ministry of reconciliation, doesn't it? So when people are seeing that, they're like, John, you remind us of Elijah from Malachi. Through the ministry of baptism and repentance, it seems as though that's what John was doing. Ministry of reconciliation between Father God and his children. So if, if John is not the Christ, then he must be Elijah, no? But John denies it again. That, no, 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 I, I am not Elijah. Not, I'm not Christ, I am not Elijah. And lastly then, okay, then you must be the prophet. You must be the prophet like Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 18, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, or like Moses, from among you, from your brothers. I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, God promises Israel that he will raise up for them a prophet like Moses, who will lead them and guide them. And looking at the way people are responding to John, surely he seems to have the potential to be that prophet like Moses. And according to the Old Testament passage that we just looked at, it does seem as though John the Baptist fits. He fits the description and could easily qualify to be any of those three, the Christ, Elijah, or the prophet. 
However, despite the massive following, despite the fame and the popularity, John the Baptist never once thinks of himself as someone who he's not. Despite all the fame and popularity, despite all the power, John the Baptist never once, never once thinks of himself as someone who he is not. He's not fazed by what others say about him, praise or put-downs. He's not fazed by pride or his selfish ambition. But rather, John the Baptist stays the course and uses this as an opportunity to share about Jesus Christ. He has all these people gathered around him. He has all these people following him and wanting to be baptized and confessing their sins. He uses this opportunity to not put himself on the platform, but rather he uses this spotlight to introduce and testify about Jesus Christ, who is the true Christ, the Messiah and Lord. After John the Baptist states that he's not the Christ, he's not Elijah or the prophet, the Jewish leaders ask again in verse 22, then who are you? What do you say about yourself? He then goes to say three statements regarding I am. He says in verse 23, I am the voice. I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. John the Baptist answers this question by stating first that he is the voice. The voice who is preparing the way for the Lord or who is preparing the way for Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is quoting scripture from the Old Testament, right? These Jewish religious leaders are quoting Malachi, right? For 2 Samuel um, and also Deuteronomy. I'll also quote scripture. I am the voice that prophet Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 is talking about. A voice in the wilderness that prepares the way of the Lord. John was well aware of his identity in light of Scripture. He was well aware of himself and what the Bible says about himself and who Christ says about himself. John was well aware of who he was and who he was not. John the Baptist knew that he was not the Word, meaning he was not the Christ. He was not Jesus Christ. That only Jesus is the true Logos. Only Jesus is the true Word. Even when it seemed as though all the spotlight was on him, there was even some who thought of him as the Christ, many who thought John the Baptist is Jesus Christ. He's not fazed by the hype. He's not fazed by all the fame. Despite all the hype, despite all the fame and popularity, John wanted to set the record straight once and for all as he quotes scripture from Isaiah. He knew that he was to be the voice, meaning an instrument, a tool, an arrow that points others to the true word, living word, Jesus Christ, to the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is why John was baptizing people in the Jordan River as he was preaching about repentance and divine judgment to prepare the way, to prepare people for the true word, Jesus Christ. As I look at how John responds, one thing that I need to keep reminding myself over and over again is that I too, and we all, are called to be a voice and nothing more and nothing less. Let me say this again. We are called to be his voice, nothing more and nothing less. My job is not to be a savior figure or anybody to point or, or uh, for anybody 
or to point people to myself, saying, come to me, I shall give you rest. Come to me, I know the way. I can provide salvation. But rather, to point everyone away from myself to the true knowledge and the true wisdom in the living word, Jesus Christ. And I believe the same goes for all of us. Maybe for some of us, we have savior complex. We think we have to do everything. We think we are the reason this church exists. Without us, it will not be able to survive. Friends, what we need to remind ourselves is that we are simply a voice. We are called to be a voice, nothing more and nothing less. Why? Because I believe there are dangers to fame and popularity. Friends, the sad reality is that no matter what your profession is, the more you are recognized, the more you are tempted to credit yourself. The more you are appreciated, the more you are recognized, the more you are tempted to credit yourself. Saying, I did that. That was me. It was all me. I had something to do with that. And the more we begin to credit ourselves, the harder it is to see God in all of this the more we begin to point others to ourselves, the less we begin to see how it is all about God and only God. Friends, I believe pride has a way of blinding us from seeing who we really are. And the sad reality is many of us, even in the church, don't really know who we are because this pride in us is blinding us from seeing our blind spots. And we have many of them. With pride, we place ourselves at the spotlight. We place ourselves at the center of our lives. And we think as long as we get what we want, life is good. When is it a disaster? When we're not getting what we want. When our desires are not being fulfilled. When we don't have control over our lives. But today's passage reminds us that we are not to be the center of our lives. Today's passage reminds us that We were created not to be the main character of his redemption story. Only main character is Jesus Christ. It's not about us, but it's about Jesus Christ. For John the Baptist, we see his humility. We see his humility in acknowledging and testifying that he's simply an instrument. He's simply a voice that is sharing about the true life-giving source that is Jesus Christ, his Savior and Lord. Despite having what seemed to be the whole world focused on him. Where he was trending on all platforms, John the Baptist remains humble. Now looking around in this room, I don't think any one of you guys had experienced what John the Baptist had experienced. I don't know, maybe you guys have a lot of followers on Instagram, but not at the level of John the Baptist. But friends, we see, right, countless amounts of stories after stories of people who cannot... Deal with popularity and fame. Why? Because with fame and popularity, there's this danger, there's temptation to make things about yourself. So when you cannot perform at the level of what other people desire of you, you fall into depression. When you cannot meet the expectations of yourself as well as people around you, you fall into depression. Friends, I believe humility comes from Not knowing who you are, but knowing who you are in light of Christ. Let me say this again. Humility comes not from knowing who you are in regards to the world that we're living in, but knowing who you are 
in light of Christ. John was well aware of who he was. He says he is the voice, and he uses this platform, this spotlight near the Jordan River to testify that Jesus Christ is indeed the Christ, and he is not. John the Baptist testifies that he is the voice, but also he testifies that he baptizes with water. He says, I am the voice, and I baptize, or I am a baptizer of water, or baptizer in water. So what does this mean? He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. John is simply highlighting the fact that there's nothing special. There's nothing divine about him. He is simply the voice, the instrument, or a tool that God is working in and through to bless others. But there's nothing divine about himself. But if anything special happens, and if anything divine were to happen through his ministry of repentance and baptism, then the only explanation for all of that, the only reason for that is God. God in his gracious favor and wanting to use and bless his ministry, that is the only explanation. For John, although he is given the privilege to preach, uh, given the privilege to preach the message of repentance and uh, lead people into uh, baptism with water, he knew very well that he was nothing without God. He knew very well that whatever amazing, special, divine is happening, that is all God and not himself. He uses even this opportunity to reflect the spotlight to Jesus Christ, urging others not to focus on him, but urging others to focus on Jesus Christ, to the one who can give them eternal life, to the word, to the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. John is saying, if you guys think I am so great, if you guys think what I am doing is awesome, if you guys even consider me as the Christ, I'm not, he's the real deal. Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and stands among you, yet you have no idea. You do not even know or recognize the true Christ. He's right there among you. He came from heaven to dwell among us, to rescue us from our sin. And you're calling me the Christ? You're saying me baptizing and leading people into repentance is amazing? Friends, I believe this is a great reminder for all of us myself included, that what we are called to do is nothing special. Even as your pastor, what I am called to do here is nothing special. It is a great privilege to serve the Lord, but if anything happens through this ministry, if anything happens through the preaching of God's word, if anything happens through me, it is all because God chose to be gracious to me. It is all because God chose to be gracious to our church and use our church to do his kingdom work. We take zero credit. Why? Because we are to be the instrument. We are to be a channel or a tube, right? Or a a bridge that God is working through to bless others. We are to be his hands and his feet. We are to be the body of Christ, not Christ himself. I believe the same goes for us. We are called to be his light. We are called to go and plant seeds by sharing the gospel to the people around us. But... We don't have the power to change people's lives, do we? Right? We even have a hard time. We can't even change ourselves. We try, but we can't even change ourselves. Well, so what makes you think that you can actually change people's hearts? We can't. But the good news is that God never asks us to go and change people's lives. He's asking us to be his voice. 
He's asking us to go and plant the seeds. He's going to be the water. He's going to be the one that grows. He's going to be the one that shines his light and gives water for it to grow. He's going to be the one that changes people's lives. He simply is asking us to be his hands and feet and to show them the love of Christ. Show them how amazing, how incredible it is to be part of his family, to be part of his kingdom. Yet once we make this about ourselves, once we make this about people coming to us and us being the Savior figure, we have lost the true purpose of his mission. We are called to shine the light, not to be the light, not not to be the source of light. We are called to plant the seeds, not to cause it to grow. Why? Because we can't. We're not God. One of the most essential lessons that the scripture teaches us regarding our identity over and over and over again through the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament is that we are not God and we will never be. But friends, the scary thing is at the core of who we are, if we really just black out everything and if we really dissect and discern who we really are at the core of our motive, of everything that we do, it's driven by this desire in wanting to be God. Right? We see that even in the story in Exodus as the Israelites build a golden calf. Why? They couldn't wait for God to show up, so they wanted to build their own God because they thought it was better. Same for the Egyptians, right? Why do they believe in so many other gods, so many different gods? Because they believe, yeah, God, our God that we worship is good, but we got other gods that, we got, that can give us better things in life. Right? If you look throughout the scriptures, like idolatry, 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 idolatry. Even Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Why did they take the bite of the forbidden fruit? Because they thought what God had to offer is good, but we think we can do better. At the core of who we are, the core motive of all of our sin is driven by this desire and wanting to be God. And that's the struggle. That's the conflict in our Christian life. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you genuinely accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there should be this daily conflict. You should be miserable. Because there should be this daily conflict between yourself, your sinful self, and wanting to be God versus the Spirit's nature and wanting, to, wanting yourself to abide by His will. May we learn from this great example of John the Baptist and remind ourselves that we are not God. And we should never be God. Can we quickly turn to our neighbors and remind them, you are not God. You are not God. Friends, we need to remind ourselves of this truth every day. We are not God. So stop trying to be God. Stop trying to play God. Stop trying to be the Savior figure when God is calling us to simply be the voice, an instrument To be his hands and feet, to make Jesus known, and to point others to Jesus. For John the Baptist, despite all the popularity, despite all the fame, he sees himself in light of Jesus Christ and testifies in verse 27. He goes above and beyond saying, I am the voice, I am a baptizer in water. And in verse 27 he says, in comparison to the one who comes after me, I am unworthy. I am unworthy. Even he who comes after me, the strap whose sandals, I am not worthy to tie. What is John the Baptist saying? He's simply saying in comparison to Jesus Christ, 
John, John is not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal, meaning that duty, that, that work of untying a sandal for someone is designated for the lowest of the low. If you have a clear picture of who Jesus is, then it puts everything into perspective in seeing who you are in light of him. Meaning, how can anyone boast? How can anyone talk about or boast about who they are and what they've done when compared to the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ? If you think your achievements, your success is grand, now compare that to what God has done and what God is continuing to do. The world that we're living in tells us that our worth is related to our success, related to our fame, our achievements, and our abilities. But the Bible, the scripture tells us that our worth is related to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is right. In comparison to Christ, we are unworthy. We are worthless. But the beauty of the gospel is that in Christ, in his incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, he reminds us that in his eyes, we are worthy. Due to our sin before Jesus Christ, we are unworthy. We are unworthy of his love, his grace, his mercy, anything that he has to offer. Yet, because of his son Jesus Christ, we are now in him, in his, through his death and resurrection, we are now more than worthy. The gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ reminds us that you and I are worth something. You, are, you and I are so valuable in God's eyes, so worth even the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Not because of anything we've done to deserve it, but simply because that's how much God desires to be in this new relationship with us. This is why the Word became flesh. This is why God pitched a tent to dwell, to encamp among us in our hearts through Jesus Christ. This is why God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to not, to, only, uh, to not only save us, but to rearrange our worth in Him. From hell-deserving, worthless sinners to God's loving, worthy sons and daughters. Friends, how do you identify yourself? Who are you when push comes to shove, where do you identify yourself? Or how do you identify yourself? Who are you really? Maybe some of us ask that question on a daily basis as we are desperately searching. As we are desperately searching for something to be affiliated with. Something to boost our morale or our worth. If I, if I hang out with that crowd, I think I can be a little bit more popular. If I can be friends with this guy... He's pretty well off. I think that's going to help me um, get ahead in life. Friends, maybe humble ourselves and look to the Word of God. You want to know who you really are? Look to the Scripture. Humility is knowing who you are in light of Scripture. Humility is knowing who you are in light of Scripture. May we place our identity not in our selfish ambition, not in what others say about us, not in what the world labels us as, but in Christ and his word alone. Because it is only in scripture do we find our true identity, our true worth, our true value as God's precious children. 
his voice, his light, his instrument, whom he desires to use to make Jesus known. Friends, I pray that we will be a church. I pray that we will be a church that is not focused on our own abilities or our inabilities, not focused on our own agendas or our own plans, but upon Jesus and his word above all else. It is in his word where we find hope. It is in his word where we find rest. And it is, it is in his word where we rediscover who we really are. And I pray that we will rediscover ourselves on a daily basis, reminding ourselves with this truth of God's word that we are his beloved, that we are to be his voice, his light, his hands and feet, his salt, to make an impact in this world. As God's instrument, may we play in tune with his melody rather than our own, rather than this world's, so that we can, we can live for his glory. Let's pray together.